Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. If you are wanting to raise your rents from $850 to $875, but someone across the street is at $825 and offering some concessions... It's probably not the best idea to raise the rent, assuming that those are the exact same properties. Best Ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. And we're doing follow along Friday today. We're talking about how to determine when you should raise rents. I'm with Theo Hicks, who joins me on Fridays. And this topic on the surface is pretty simple. You raise rents when the market will command a certain premium or when your property can command a certain premium based on the market comps. So on the surface, you might be thinking, okay, well, I just need to know what the market's doing and that will determine how I raise rents. And high level, sure, that's accurate, but there's much more to it. There's a 2.0 analysis that you can do and should do, especially when you're dealing with apartment buildings because you've got some large financial implications when you keep rents the same or you're not maximizing the rents that you can be getting. And then there's also financial implications depending on when you're selling, where you're at in the business plan, et cetera. So we're going to talk about that. Theo's going to lead the charge. I'm going to chime in along the way and we're ready to go. So as Joe said, the short answer to when you raise rents is you have your property management company or you yourself will do some sort of market comp analysis uh, on a monthly basis weekly basis, however often you want. And then based off of that, your property management company or you will find out that, okay, we're under rented by $15. So on all new leases, we're going to raise around $15. That's the short answer. That's one way to do it. But there are a couple of exceptions where you don't necessarily want to just continue to raise your rent. Not necessarily exceptions, but things that you want to look at first. 
to make sure that those are all good before you start raising the rents. Because as Joe said, of course, when you raise your rents, the rents will go up, but there's also other implications of other expenses that might increase or things that might decrease that could potentially end up decreasing your overall cash flow on the property. So I've got a list of things here that I'm going to go over. One of them is pretty high level too, but it's what's your business plan? So what was your initial plan to raise rents when you were underwriting the deal? Well, first of all, did you have a plan, which you should, if a best ever listener, we talk about that all the time. What was your initial plan to raise the rents? Was your plan to renovate the units and then raise the rents once they were done? Was the plan to decrease the loss of lease? So you went in there and the units were fine, but they were under rented. So it was a plan to go in there and raise the rents that way. Also, do you have investors that you offered a certain return to that you need to hit and in order to achieve that return, you need to raise the rents. So that's kind of maybe more upfront. In the long term, you want to see where you actually are in your business plan compared to what you projected. So again, when you're underwriting the deal, you've got your month-to-month projections. So two years down the road, where are you at? Are your rents where they're supposed to be? If not, and the market comps tell you that you can raise the rents, that's something that you're going to need to do in order to hit your target. Something else with the business plan, it's incredibly important that we're aware of when the projected capital event will take place. And by capital event, I mean a refinance, a supplemental loan, or a sale. Because in order to get your desired amount or even greater for whatever you're looking to get from that capital event, you'll want to have the rent roll to show as high of income as possible, which then consequently will have your income be as high as possible. And Theo's going to get into this in a little bit. You can do some things to maneuver the property so that it's put in the best light with your leasing to get those rents as high as possible and then also to maintain the occupancy It's not necessarily mutually exclusive where you get rent premiums and high occupancy. There's a way to get both, but you might have to do some concessions Mm -hmm. or something like that in order to get those leases signed at a high rate and keep that occupancy high for that capital event. Whereas if you're not about to do a capital event or you're not planning on doing one, then you can let occupancy dip a little bit, stay strong on concessions meaning you don't have any concessions mm-hmm. and then do it a little bit slower and not as much of a blitz pace. Exactly. Because the value of the property is based off of the, the net operating income. And obviously the majority of the actual revenue is rent, but you have to keep in mind that there are other income, but then there's other things that you're doing to get renters that cost you money. So that's like in, it's called concessions as an example. Something else you want to look at, because since we're, I think it's a pretty smooth transition into talking about concessions, but before you go to raise your rents, take a look at what type of concession is it you're offering. If you're offering a ton of rent concessions before raising the rents, it's probably not a good idea to raise the rents until you are able to reduce those. So again, concessions are things that are used like first month's rent free, like a referral program, discounted rent, anything that you're conceding to the resident to get them to live in your building. And if you are already doing that at the current rents that you have, you're probably going to have to offer more concessions if you're going to be raising the rents. And so concessions could actually be an indicator of whether or not you're ready to raise the rents, kind of like occupancy. Occupancy is really high. That might indicate that you're under-rented. Having low concessions 
could also be an indicator that you could push your rents a little bit higher and increase that revenue. But at the same time, if you are increasing your rents by 300 bucks per month, but you have to offer $1,000 in concessions, it doesn't really make any sense. So concessions is something else that you want to look at and minimize before you go to raise your rents. Something similar to concessions that's also a revenue loss is bad debt and delinquency. So this kind of also goes hand in hand with evictions and skips. So take a look at your eviction rate, the number of people that are skipping out in the middle of the night. And then once people skip out, they're not up to date with their rents, then that's bad debt. And that's money that you cannot collect. If you're having all these resident problems, minimize that first. Because again, if you minimize your bad debt, you minimize skips, you minimize evictions, your revenue is going to go up without you having to even raise the rents, just an operational change. And then once you've got all that figured out, you get the added bonus of eventually raising the rents. And, and just to clarify a little bit on the bad debt, if someone skips out, you can technically collect, but you'll likely have to go through a collections agency and it's going to be a long time and you'll just get a percentage of it because the collections agency will take a percentage too. And when Joe, you were talking earlier about things that you can do leading up to the sale, becoming more aggressive on your collection is one of those as well. Of course, minimizing eviction skips, but also if you've got a bad debt that's more than 3% of your gross potential rent, for the person that's looking at your deal is going to have questions about why is the bad debt so high. That's something else too that you want to address. Like I was looking at a deal the other day where the bad debt was literally over 10% of the gross potential rent. Um, and it, it was just because of the resident space, but you get 10% of your gross potential rent, that's think about how much money you pay in property management. It's like 3%. So it's like three times as much to pay in the property manager money you're just losing because you're not aggressive enough on the collections. So that's a way to raise the rents without actually having to raise the rents. Mm-hmm. Another one, and this is kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the market comps, but is the competition. So what are your two bed and one bath rents compared to the similar apartment across the street? What are they offering currently? What type of concessions are they offering? So if you are wanting to raise your rents from 850 to 875, but someone across the street is at 825 and offering some concessions, it's probably not the best idea to raise the rent, assuming that those are the exact same properties. The market comp analysis will take care of that. So when you get your analysis back, you'll look at the competition and see what they're renting. But I'm not 100% sure if they have things like concessions or who pays the utilities on there. Does it, Joe? Or yeah, it absolutely. A good analysis certainly does because the good analysis will be that of a prospective resident at that property and that prospective resident, when going through the process at the property, will come across if there's a concession or not, or who pays what. Okay. And that should be done at minimum on a monthly basis for your property. Exactly. And one of the main purposes of that is to minimize that loss to lease, which is something else that's a loss. And if you can minimize that gap, because loss to lease is your actual rent, it's the difference between the market rent and the actual rent. So if you're, for example, one of the deals you guys bought maybe over a year ago, I was reading through the investment summary and the owner was not aggressive on his rents, was 5 10% below market rents, but, but he sacrificed that so he'd have a really, really high occupancy rate. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of a give and take on all of these factors and you, you kind of just want to just navigate them so you can have certain ones that are high, but then not have other ones go up because of that and, and things like that. And that just takes experience and time. All roads lead back to the business plan, which is why we started off talking about the business plan, because if your business plan is to 
have returns that are desirable. So 17, 18% internal rate return on a five-year project to limited partners, then it's likely you're doing a value-add play. So you'll need to continue to be aggressive with income or be focused on income compared to perhaps a family that purchases a property to beat inflation, then they're likely more focused on occupancy, sitting on it, paying off the debt and holding it long term, maybe doing a cash out refinance in the future, depending on how the economy does. Mm-hmm. Uh, just It's just different and different business plans, different perspectives on what to do based on certain circumstances. Exactly. And with this business plan, kind of everything that we're talking about, you want to make sure that you're aware of this when you're creating a business plan. This is not something that you want to do two years in and be like, all right, like, how do I raise rents on this property? You should know as much as possible exactly what you're going to do after taking over the property so that you're not, again, scrambling last minute to raise the rents or you don't know what to do when bad debt increases and things like that. Yeah, you should absolutely know who is your competition prior to purchasing the property, what you need to do to compete with that property. So if you're doing a value-add deal, it should not be other properties that are where you're at now. It should be the properties that you can compete against once you implement your value-add plan. And then once you close, you implement the value-add plan, you then do an assessment to determine where you're at relative to that competition and how you can optimize that plan, whether you can scale down on the upgrades because maybe it's overkill, whether you need to scale up or whether you're just about right. And then you can figure out how to maneuver afterwards, but you've got to have that plan going into it. You've got to know who your competition is and how you plan on competing against them and how much it's going to cost in order to do that per unit. Another factor to look at is the number of canceled applicants. So these are people who apply and then disappear. So you want to see how many people are canceling or have applied to move in and then move in date comes and they don't actually show up. If you're having a high number of these, that's another area you should probably focus on first because that's kind of a sign of either something's going on with the resident or there's something about your property that they don't want to move in. So that's something that you want to find an answer to and figure it out because that's wasted advertising dollars. That's wasted time for your leasing agents. That's a unit that could have had a resident, but now it's vacant for another couple of weeks because that person didn't move in. So all those things are losses against your revenue. So if you've got a bunch of applicants canceling and not showing up for move-in day, figure out what's going on and address that before you go and raise rents. Two comments on that. One, in addition to it being applicants who were approved, You also might have applicants who applied, but then they went AWOL and they wouldn't have been qualified anyway. And it's important to take note of how many you have of those individuals, because that could be an indicator of the market and the sub-market. So you'll want to see the trend there of all these canceled applicants and you're not really getting the quality that you used to, or you're getting better quality residents based on however you qualify the potential residents. So that's one comment. The other comment is these are all things that you should be asking your property manager on site to give you information on. Whereas I imagine if you didn't hear our conversation between Theo and I, you might not have asked 
about all these questions prior to saying, yeah, let's increase the rents. And this is just a next level way of looking at if you should increase rents and other considerations because each of them have a way of hurting your property and your profits if you're not paying attention to it. Canceled applicants, the number of evictions, the competition, concessions, clearly the business plan. So these are all things that you should be asking your on-site team about so that you're educated and then you can start seeing trends over the course of ownership at that particular property. Exactly. And a couple more comments. Number one, a lot of the things that we're talking about, canceled applicants, the bad debts, well, always the bad debt, but canceled applicants, eviction skips. If you are underwriting a deal or actually have your property management company already managing the property, all of these things should be listed on the rent roll, assuming they're using a really detailed software. If not, as Joe mentioned, you need to get this information from your property management company. And so this should be information you're getting on your weekly performance reviews with the management company. So you should have a spreadsheet and it should have a lot more than just the number of canceled applicants and evictions and skips and bad debt and concessions. But yeah, you still got to make sure that you're in constant communication with your private management company and you're knowing what's going on on a weekly basis in regards to these different factors. And someone who has a large apartment building might be thinking, well, yeah, but Joe, I have an LRO system. LRO stands for Lease Rent Options System to just tell me when I should raise rents. And that's great, but it doesn't necessarily factor in all of these things that we've discussed. So even if you have a software program that tells you what the market rent is at your competition, what their occupancy rate is, and what you should do on that particular day with your unit, still want to take all these other factors that we've discussed into consideration. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the last factor is the rental season. So figure out what month you're right now. So we're in August and then determine how close you are to when rental season begins and when rental season ends. Now, of course, rental season is going to vary from market to market. I know back in Cincinnati, it was May, June, July, August, around that time. I did some research beforehand and a lot of people say it's summer. I've read a couple of emails from your property management company, Joe, and they talk about April and May. So it sounds like between April and September, somewhere in there is when rental season starts and ends. And then, you know, obviously in the winter is when it's not rental season. So if you're in the winter, you're probably not going to be able to get as high as rents as you would if you wait six months to raise the rents in the spring and the summer. So that's yeah. something else that you want to take into account is where are you at in time? And is this the optimal time to raise the rents? Or should I wait six months before raising those rents? Winter is the time to hold tight on occupancy. November, December, not only do residents not move, and if they do move out, then good luck getting someone to replace them at that particular time. But properties don't sell. Now, I'm making a general statement. Certainly, there's exceptions. But usually you're not going to have a property of yours go on the market in November because there's just not as much traction as in the spring and the summer. And every single family home investor who's listening to this is like, yeah, no kidding. We experience the same thing with single family homes. You would think larger dollar amount transactions might buck that trend, but they do not. 
when we sell our properties, we're looking to sell in the same time frame that you just described. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe during that time of the year, the winter is the best time to buy a deal from someone because they're not going to be able to demandize a price. But yep, absolutely. There's a flip side to that yeah. for sure. On the buying side, there's a flip side. So yeah. So just to summarize, when to raise rent at your apartment community, the short answer is run a rental comp analysis, and if it tells you to raise your rent, raise them. But there are some other additional factors to look at too. What's your business plan? What kind of concessions are you currently offering? Take a look at the people you're competing with. Take a look at the number of evictions and skips. Take a look at your bad debt and delinquency costs. Make sure you're up to date on the number of canceled applicants. And then finally, make sure you're aware of what time of the year it is and whether or not you're in the rental season. I think that was seven things. That's nice and clean for the title of this episode once it goes live. Yeah, exactly. So moving on, Joe, any updates? I know you guys closed on a deal yesterday, so congrats on that. Yep, that's a pretty big update. Closed on a 436-unit property in Dallas and actually just sent out an opportunity yesterday to my private investor group about another property that is in that area, South Dallas area, and we think there's going to be some good cash flow opportunity with perhaps some appreciation in the market, although we're not counting on it, more of a cash flow opportunity and do our value add business plan. So excited about that. And then one real estate productivity related thing that I learned last night was I watched the documentary called Truth About Alcohol Mm. is on Netflix. And I learned some things that I'd heard before, but I didn't know it was actually science. So for any best ever listener who does have a drink every now and then or multiple drinks every now and then, this is information that you might find interesting. I did. One is the more water we have in our body, the longer it takes for us to get drunk. So that's why larger people don't get drunk as quickly as smaller people because the larger people have more water in their body. And that's number one. The more muscle you have compared to fat, it will take longer for you to get drunk. So if you're more muscular, then you don't get drunk as quickly as if you are fat. Hmm. Uh, That's another thing I learned on the documentary. Third thing is we probably all know this, but I saw an experiment, so it proved it. If we eat prior to drinking, then we get drunk slower. The blood alcohol content that is in our bloodstream is lower if we eat prior to drinking versus if we drink on an empty stomach. And then four is we eat more when we're drinking. Again, most of these things that I had heard of, but I didn't know if they were actual facts or not. At least they were from this documentary. And the documentary is the truth about alcohol and thought that was interesting, so I wanted to share. So now if you don't want to get drunk, you guys know what to do. If you also want to maximize your drunk, you guys know what to do. (laughs) When you're working on your real estate stuff. There you go. Yeah, I mean, whenever you watch any like older movie, whenever they're doing business transactions, they're always drinking sipping their drink, whiskey. sipping on whiskey and stuff Smoking like that. Smoking a ciggy. Yeah. yeah. Like it probably just makes them more open and honest That's during right. their business negotiations. Yes, yes. <laughs> Easier to read. Well, what about the, you? Any updates? No updates on my end. Just got my three fourplexes and they're fully occupied. So they're just cash flowing. And I mentioned last week, I'm going to host a barbecue event in the next couple of months and not going to tell them when it's coming, not going to tell them when the next one's coming. 
and I'm excited about that. Well, you kind of want to tell them a little in advance when I'll it's coming. I'll give them a week advance, yeah. Right, right, right. And then I'm also starting to work on doing my own syndication deal. So we'll talk about that coming soon. Fair um, enough. Putting together a team right now. We'll start looking for deals. I'm learning some things, but not enough to share on this podcast just yet. But once I learn my first big lesson, I'll, I'll definitely share it for everyone. Well, Theo, we have some resources for you that will help you learn the process. I'm leveraging all those resources. Don't worry, Joe. Yes. <laughs> yes, fair enough. And for everyone else, you can go to apartmentsyndication.com or multifamilysyndication.com. We got both URLs and there's all sorts of syndication tips and blog posts on raising money and finding deals and working with brokers, building out your team, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. All right, so uh, just a wrap up here. Uh, make sure you guys go to the best ever You did it again. Oh, what did I do again? Oh, guys and girls. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> guys and girls. <laughs> make sure you guys go to the best ever community.com. That's our, our Facebook group. You just did it again. <laughs> and each week we post a question of the week. And if you guys and girls respond to it, you'll be included in a blog post. This week's question is what is the biggest red flag for you? when evaluating a market. I want to add to this. I'm going to go back and add this and say, what is the biggest red flag for you when you're evaluating a market? But I also want to know what the biggest red flag is when you're evaluating a deal. Maybe that'll be the question next week. But Mm -hmm. the biggest red flag for me when evaluating the market, of course, we talk about this all the time, which is job diversity. But something else is I want to look at the median income. And this is more for a deal, I guess, uh, what the average rent is going to be and make sure that the median income can support that rent. So most people spend around 30 to 35%, I think, is the high end of their income on rent. So if the rents are below that, that's a good sign. If the rents are 50% of the median income, then I'm probably not going to invest in that area. Oh, that's a good one. Thank you for sharing that. I got that from one of your clients, Dan. Oh, cool. Yeah, I heard it before, but he articulated it in a good way, and it yeah. just stuck. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And lastly, make sure you guys and girls... Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review. It really helps us out. And you might have the opportunity to have your review read aloud on the podcast. This week's review was from Hannah Bumper. And she said, these podcasts are extremely informative for first-time investors through those with extensive portfolios. Highly recommended. Even the ones I didn't think pertained to me had nugget information that were useful. And yeah, I agree. I'm sure most people, when they go through your podcast, they look at the title and they read the bio of the person and see, oh, well, if they're a wholesaler, I'm not a wholesaler, so I'm not going to listen to it. But real estate is so interconnected that you might learn some deal generation technique that you could apply to your business or some success habit that they use that is something that you're struggling with and once applied could increase your productivity. So I agree. Every podcast has at least one thing that is new that you can learn and apply to whatever business or your, even your personal life. At the very least, you'll get a good book recommendation at the end. <laughs> yeah, I love your thoughts, Hannah, and also your comments, Theo. I'm the same way. One core belief I have is nothing in life has meaning until I decide to give it meaning. So I determine what words mean to me. And it's a fact that that's how the world is because everyone is interpreting our conversation slightly differently based on their own life experiences, where they're at, their attention span, et cetera, et cetera. So when I'm speaking to a fix and flip or a wholesaler, I'm not doing that stuff, but I am learning about certain aspects of what they're doing so that I can see how I can apply that to my business. 
And there's always something I can learn from a conversation. So I'm grateful that we've got best ever listeners who acknowledge and embrace that. And I too embrace that. So thanks everyone for hanging out, listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or a cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.